Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome. Good, good morning. Welcome to, where are we? Bergen Park Church. That's where we are. It's good to have you guys here. Hey, I got to tell you, um, first of all, let me fix this. You know, we're going to jump into a psalm this morning, and uh, it seemed like a great idea when I planned this series. Sometimes you you plan a series out, and there's a psalm, or there's a passage you jump into, and then you wake up on Sunday morning, and you think, are you really going to jump into that passage? Because, you know, the psalms, there's some psalms that are really rough. I don't know if you noticed this, just like you and I can be rough, just like there's emotions that we experience and, and things that we go through in life, the psalms are just like life. Because they, they come out of experiences that are hard and deep and difficult. And what, what you notice when you get into a book like the Psalms is, is that it really has a primary location for your emotions. Now, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you know, some of us grew up in different homes in terms of how emotions were expressed. Some of us kind of caused emotions. Okay, we can't really express those things. Others of us were very expressive and you still are very expressive. And people know how you feel. They can just look at you and they can kind of sense. They know where you are. And all of us have kind of gone through different experiences when it comes to where we are with our emotions and how we express them. But what's beautiful about the psalmist is they're open, they're honest. And they're honest in God's presence. They're not being driven by emotion, you know, with other people, allowing their emotions to kind of drive their relationships, but they're not suppressing it. Instead, they're expressing what they're feeling in God's presence. And the more I realize that, you know, our emotions are a gift from God. And when we don't allow our emotions to be expressed in healthy ways, you know, when you allow your emotions to go out in healthy ways, it actually draws people closer to you. When you use them in ways that are manipulative, it it pushes people away. And in the Psalms, we really see how our emotions and worshiping God's presence comes together in a way that brings hope and healing and restoration. Now, all that said, except for Psalm 88. We're about to jump in. If you want to grab a Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 88. And I've got to warn you, you know, half of the psalms are psalms of lament. And lament is grief and sadness. And of that half of psalms, there are two psalms. Psalms 39 and the one we're going to go to in Psalm 88 that have no hope. Because sometimes there's days where you have no hope. And just as the psalms match life, there are days and experiences where you cry out to God and God just seems distant. And it may not just be a day. For some of us, we've gone through months or we've gone through years and experiences where instead of God's presence being dear and near to us, it's, it seems distant. And the nearness of God that maybe we experienced at one time or we walked through some season of life where God was rich and deep and near, he seems far and distant and darkness seems more real than the light of God's presence. And that's where Psalm 88 is. It's a psalm of the heart of a human being in despair. And so let's jump into this passage and begin to uncover not so much how we pray, because see, Psalm 88's not necessarily right in terms of its words, but it's being right in God's presence in terms of where he is. He's letting God know, God, you know where I am. You know, when God said to Adam, where are you? That wasn't a question of location. You know that, right? It's not like he was like, okay, where did Adam go? 
Adam, I, I can't find, it was a question of where are you in terms of where's your heart? Adam, why are you fleeing from me? Why are you drawing away? Why are you pulling away from me? And likewise, in the psalm, the psalmist, in some ways, God's asking the psalmist, where are you? And as we go through this, maybe you need to ask the question yourself, you know, where are you? And how does this relate to some of the experiences you've had in life? So let's jump in. Psalm 88, a song of the psalm of the sons of Korah. And this guy's name is Haman. It's not He-Man. Okay, that's the first thing. You've got to correct that. But verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead. Like the slain that lie in the grave. Like those whom you remember no more. For they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I can't escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders among the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, I cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This, too, is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, as we just spend this time, just want to acknowledge that you're with us. Father, to acknowledge that in, as we gather together before your presence, Lord, you long to speak to us. You long to direct us, to guide us. And that means to take account of, of where we are. Lord, I, I know that in, even in the darkest of nights, you long to speak to us and direct us and guide us. And so, Lord, meet us here. And as we walk through this song, maybe that's not where we are, and that's a, that's a good thing. And yet we need to know that this kind of experience is a part of faith in God. And so, Lord, guide us in this time we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you look at this psalm, one of the words that's repeated I think it's verse 6, verse 12, verse 16. It's the word darkness. And it actually, in the Hebrew, it ends with the word darkness. Darkness is the last word of the psalm because it really captures where this person is. Darkness has overwhelmed him. Overwhelmed his mind, his emotions, what he sees in life, the future, the past, 
Have you ever been in a moment where that experience just covers everything? It's not because he hasn't had good days. I mean, he's had good days. He's had celebrations and parties. He's had love and romance. And yet because there's something in his life, he's looking even at the past and all the joys that he had, and they're covered in darkness. And he sees God's hand. He says, God, you've never been with me. Now, that's not true. And yet that's how it feels. Because externally and internally, there's no hope. And this, this veil of darkness is covering his heart, his emotions, his eyes. And yet the beautiful reality is he is continuing to cry out to God. He hasn't given up. I mean, I read this and I think, okay, Haman, you're tougher than I am. I mean, God's presence is, is far from him. There's no reality of light in this darkness. And yet he's continuing to pursue God. And see, the ray of light, the only sunshine you get in this is really in verse 1. If you look at it, the way he describes God, he says, Oh God, oh Lord, God of my salvation, meaning the God of my deliverance. That if there's one person, one source that's going to rescue me, God, it's you. And so here's his response. Because he believes God is his deliverance, he says, I cry out to you day and night. Let my prayer come before you, verse 2, incline my ear to your cry. God, listen, if I'm going to get through it, it's because you're with me. So on the one hand, he's seeing in God, God is my only hope. You're my only way out. And yet as you begin to go through the psalm, you realize that even though God is his hope, it seems like God is distant. In the nearness of God's voice, the sweetness of God's presence, it's something that he longs for, and yet, for whatever reason, it escapes him. When you look down in verse 9, you see the same, the same storyline. He says, my, my eye grows dim through sorrow every day. I call upon you. And, and notice he says, I spread out my hands to you. Lord, I'm just asking that you would draw near. So when he says every day, I'm assuming this isn't just a bad afternoon. This is a bad week. This is a bad month. And yet the consistency to continue to cry out to God, Lord, I know you're the only way out, yet why are you so far from me? Now, why would we talk about this? I know some of you are new today and you're like, I came on Psalm 88 Sunday, the depressing Sunday. It's like, Pastor, there's 150 Psalms, right? This is, and there's a lot of good ones too, you know? The Lord is my shepherd. We could have come on that day. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, right? He leads me beside quiet waters. Or blessed is the man. Come on, there's a, a number of psalms that lift the soul, and yet this is one of them. You know, this is a psalm in the Bible that the Lord wants us to identify with because I think all of us have moments in life that, that approximate this. Experiences in life where God seems distant and Prayer's hard enough, isn't it? You know, as we've gone through this series, we started with the Lord's Prayer. One of the things I encourage you to do is just one time during the day, sometime, is simply to recite the Lord's Prayer. Now, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, fa that first of all, we approach God as, as his children. He is our Father. And his desire is to restore the honor of his name. How did he do that? It's through his son, Jesus Christ. In the Lord's Prayer, we see the story of the gospel. That God's restoring his honor. He's restoring his name through his kingdom coming, which means that Jesus is a king. 
And he's rescued a people, us, who belong to himself. He's given us a law. He's given us land. He's given us a hope and a future. And yet, let your will be done, not on, on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get into prayers for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread, that everything in life is, is a gift from God. And that we have gratitude for what he's given. And yet, we go out to a world, right, and we get hurt. I mean, in the prayer, built into the prayer that God's given us for every single day, he's telling Jason, remember, every single day you go out, you're going to expect to be hurt. Don't, don't think that's a surprise. But when you're hurt, realize that I've relieved that pain, and I want you to pass that on to others. Forgive others as they sin against you. And then lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, that you can't resist on your own. You need me. You're dependent on me. You are blessed as you are poor in spirit. And so as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're reminded of who God is and what he's done and who we are and how he wants us to live. But what do you do when it doesn't work? I mean, isn't prayer supposed to work? Often that's the question I get from people to say, listen, I tried praying. It didn't, it didn't work. Now, often what does that mean? I didn't get what I wanted. That we assume, right? What's prayer about? It's about pushing the right buttons. And if I do the right things and say the right stuff, then maybe I'll get what I want. And actually, that's what Jesus said not to do. He said, don't be like the pagans. You know what they love to do? They love to babble. They love to say these, these phrases because they think they're going to be heard. You're not heard because of your many words. Prayer is not about getting what you want. Prayer is about being with the Father. That's the purpose of prayer. And yet the challenge is, in this case, he's with the Father, but the Father's not with him. He feels abandoned. He feels lost. He feels cast aside. So before we jump in, let's just pause for a moment. Don't judge this guy, Haman. Because I, I look at this and I think, okay, maybe it's your fault. You just didn't pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your life. There's some sin and you need to confess that. And that's the reason God's presence is distant from you. And that's actually what Haman assumes as well. He's going through this dark time. And he's assuming, I must have done something wrong. There must be something wrong with me. There must be something broken in me that I'm not experiencing the presence of God, and that's not true. God's not distant from him because he's done anything wrong. God just sometimes seems distant. And in this case, there's no apparent sin. There's no brokenness in his life. In fact, if you go to the introduction of the psalm, it says he's the son of Korah. Now, that didn't mean much to me. Imagine it doesn't mean much to you. But what I discovered are the sons of Korah, they're the musicians and the singers in the temple. These are people who lead others into God's presence. So this is someone who's led amazing worship services. People have gathered together in brokenness. They've seen people healed. They've seen people restored. They come to faith. They have experienced the presence of God in ways that you and I could only imagine in the temple, in the gathering of God's people so that he knows how to enter God's presence. He understands it. He's, that's his art. And yet his art isn't working. What he's good at it's not bringing any results. Have you had that kind of experience where what you know to do and what you think is right to do, it just, it doesn't work. The question becomes, will you still pursue God? When God doesn't give you what you want and he's not helping you in the ways that you think he should, would you still pursue God? You know somebody else had that question? Do you know who? Satan. It's in chapter one of Job. I mean, another book that's got a lot of joy in it, right? <laughs> what does he do? He comes into God's presence in this very accusatory voice and says, listen, come on. There's a reason why Job praises you. Look at his life. 
I mean, he's got it all. He's got a beautiful wife, wonderful kids, beautiful life. Of course, he prayed, take it away. He will curse you to your face. See, I think in some ways when we go through life, there's this transition that has to happen. Are we worshiping God to get what God can give us? Or are we worshiping God for God? Are we worshiping God because of what he can give us? And listen, all of us start there. That's where faith starts. Salvation, right? Jesus comes. I want to know the Father. I want to experience eternal life. I want to know the Spirit. I want to understand who he is. That's a benefit God gives us. Certainly there are benefits to God, but I think there's some, some point in the maturity of the Christian life that you're not just pursuing God for God's stuff. You're pursuing God for God. Isn't that true of every relationship? I mean, do you want people pursuing you just because of what you can give them? Or do you want them to pursue you because simply of who you are? And I wonder if in the life of Haman, this transition is beginning to take place. And I wonder if in all of our lives, we walk through this experience where we start to, we have to really choose. You know, you came to faith and you trusted. Maybe it was at some camp experience, right? The emotions were high and you put your faith in Christ and, okay, I'm following him. And then all of a sudden, the benefits just start running out. And you wonder, what is this relationship really about? And I think that's the position that Haman is in. He's in this place of darkness where he has to choose. Am I truly going to trust God for who he is? Am I going to rely on him or am I simply just going to trust in my experiences? And so let's jump back into the passage and discover a little bit about the background of what's going on. So watch this, verse 3. He says, "My my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. And that simply means the grave. And the language of this psalm has this language of death surrounding it. So there's something that's happened to him that's caused him to feel that his life is being stripped away. But that's not all. It also says my soul is in trouble. So there's an external darkness, meaning life is bad, but there's also an internal darkness. See, I would think for myself, I could overcome just about anything externally as long as internally there's still joy. And we tend to think that's the Christian life. And the fact is the church kind of plays that up. I don't know if you know this, but that's kind of our tool. We want you walking out feeling joyful. And Western Christianity, more than any other brand of Christianity, and there are brands, joy and happiness is what we think we're in this relationship with God to get. But we have to question that sometimes. Because is happiness and joy the main experience of life? I mean, joy is a great thing. And listen, we want to rejoice in the Lord, and certainly joy is a part of the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit gives us. But is that... Is that what we experience, you know, day to day? Is that, is that even reasonable? When you look at the Psalms, the whole range of emotions are there. But when you look at the church, sometimes it's just one. And if you're not happy, what do we assume? There must be something wrong with you. And yet in the Psalms, you see this wide expression of sadness and hurt and pain. And, and I know growing up and, and certainly in our culture today, we suppress those things. You know, it's just water under the bridge, right? But, you know, once the water goes under the bridge, it still goes someplace. It's still there. Or just get over it. There's experiences we go through, and we tend to suppress those emotions. What I love about the psalmist is they're not suppressing. They're expressing, and yet they're doing that in God's presence. 
And so there's an external darkness. So watch this, verse 4. He says, I count myself among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain, verse 5, that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. And then it gets worse. Watch this, verse 8. He says, you've caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. So there's people that they love, there's people they want to be around, and yet this person's saying, Haman's saying, you've cut, you've cut off my friends. Now, more than likely, what he's dealing with is some kind of external skin disease that's caused people to reject him. It could be leprosy. And he sees God as the cause. God, you've caused this. And because I have this condition, people have abandoned me. And that can be true both physically and psychologically. Sometimes people, we, we see ourselves in a way that we have to hide ourselves. That if people knew what I was really struggling with, if what I was really thinking, then they would want nothing to do with me. And yet he's experiencing that. The people that he loves have been pushed away from him. That experience of love and compassion, it's gone. And so externally, he's been rejected. But internally, watch this, in verses 6 and 7, he says, Again, you've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. And then he says, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. He's assuming I must have done something wrong. Because he says, God's wrath is laid heavy upon me, meaning, okay, I must have messed this up. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And I think that's what Haman in this passage is addressing. That often we think this isn't how it's supposed to go. And yet when he says God's wrath lies heavy upon me, that's not a true statement. See, God doesn't punish us for the individual sins that we do. It's not like if on Tuesday I, I lie and cheat and steal, on Thursday he breaks my arm. Retributive justice, that's not how God works. No, God's wrath, his anger is against the brokenness of human life in general, not my specific sin in in a moment, God doesn't punish us from moment to moment for the things that we do. Often, that punishment comes from us. There's consequences to broken relationships, consequences to the things that we do. And yet, he's looking at his life and he's assuming, okay, God must be done with me. There's no way he could still love me. So externally, there's darkness. Internally, there's darkness. And so he says in verse 13, but I, O oh Lord, I cry to you, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. And so he says, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Have you experienced that? The reason we go to a passage like this is to realize this is a part of faith in God. And we share that because if you don't realize that, how are you going to respond when it happens? See, if you don't know what to expect, if you don't know what's coming and it comes, sometimes you wonder, is there some, maybe this thing doesn't work. I'm supposed to be joyful all the time. We have narratives over the Christian life, and passages like this are supposed to wake, it, wake us up to reality that life is, is hard. I don't know if you realize this, first two chapters of the Bible, they're really good, right? Things are good. In the last two, they're really good. But what happens in the middle? 
life happens in the middle. And in life, there's loss. And in life, there's hurt, there's sadness. And in life, there's brokenness. And in life, there's dark days. And in life, there's good days. And in life, there's happiness. That's life. And that's also life with God. Is God just getting your happiness? Or is he getting you? I mean, church, are we being honest with God? When it comes to prayer, what does it start with? It starts with being honest. It starts with letting God know where you are. Adam, where, where are you? Not in location. But I want to know, you notice how much Scripture talks about the heart? That God wants to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. That Jesus has come to redeem the heart, to change the heart, to cause us to be alive in the heart to God. God wants to awaken us, to heal the brokenness of our lives. But part of that means we have to bring the brokenness to him instead of just kind of hiding it from him. And I think in life, certainly for men, I know I'm taught just to hide that stuff. Don't admit it. Right? Don't, don't deal it. Because, see, you know, if you let people know you're weak, then maybe they won't think you're a good leader. They'll go to that church where the strong pastor is, right? That guy doesn't have sadness, and he doesn't go through those kind of experiences. And I think we communicate that to ourselves. And yet God wants all of us. And when he gets all of us, we become a whole person. That the people around us begin to get all of us because he's healing all of us. And that's what this psalm is about. He's walking through this experience and so the first reality, the first point is that things like this can happen. Darkness is a reality. And here's the second idea. God understands. Because we have to start asking, why is this here? You know, because if you look in verses 10 and following, it gets worse. It's almost as if Haman has put God on the witness stand. And he's questioning. He's throwing these questions at him. Watch this, verse 10. He's saying to God, do you work wonders for the dead? Meaning, if I'm dead, what are you going to do now? And do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave and your faithfulness in Abaddon? And that word Abaddon is kind of an interesting word. It's only two or three times in the Old and the New Testament. It means a pit that is so deep it doesn't have a bottom. And it kind of reminds me of Gandalf, right? With the, anyway. A pit without, without any end. And then he says, are your wonders known in the darkness and your righteousness and the land of forgetfulness? The answer to these questions he's assuming is no. And so why, verse 14, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth, I suffer your terrors and I am helpless. So just for a moment, why would a prayer like this be included? You know, if you were the editor of the Psalms, there's got to be some hundreds of thousands of prayers you could have chosen, chosen from. And imagine you're there, you're sitting, and all the prayers are in front of you. They're all written out, and, you know, you go to Psalm 1, blessed is the man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand away as sinners. That's a good one, right? As the deer, that's a good one. People are going to put that on their pillows, and magnet, that's a beautiful, you know, so my soul thirsts for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And then David's like, you know, um, he talks about thinking of God through the watches of the night. My lips will praise you. My heart sings. Oh, that's, that's beautiful language. And then you come to this, verse 18. Darkness is my only companion. So if you're choosing these psalms, would you include this in the list? 
the reality is I'd have to say, no, this, this is a reject, right? This, this doesn't get included. I mean, because here's the reality. This is the one we skip over, right? When you have a devotional reading, come on now. It's like you're going through all these, it's like, oh, that wasn't that powerful. And, and then you come to Psalm 88. And sometimes our heart's not there. It's interesting, I was reading a, a book this week, and this husband, he would read the Psalms with his wife, and she was actually going through cancer, right? She was going through this very difficult time, and so he was reading through the Psalms, and so he got to Psalm 88, and he skipped it. And she knew, right? But she let him read the rest of them. I think they were reading like three a day, and so she stopped and said, why did you skip that? I need that. I, I, I need that. Because this person's identifying with me. They understand what I'm going through. They understand the despair. They understand the hurt. There's something about, there's something about the Psalms that when you hear somebody echo in God's presence what you're yourself feeling, there's, there's a bit of, of healing, a recognition that God understands. And see, that's what this Psalm is about. God understands the heart of a man or a woman who's in despair. And he doesn't reject it. This psalm is a psalm about grace. Because listen, th this isn't friendly. The, the accusations he's saying, God, listen, what's your love good if I'm dead? Why would you treat me like this? He's questioning God and he's, he's angry with God. And yet God's not rejecting it. God's not afraid of your anger. He is afraid when you hide. When you're not honest, when you're not with him, when you're not present. And we all know that experience, and we all hide for different reasons. And yet this psalm is here to teach us God understands the heart of a man or a woman who is in despair. And so this psalm is here on the one hand to let us know those experiences happen, too, that God understands. And see, God gives us grace. He doesn't reject us. And three, sometimes when you're in these experiences, darkness seems to cover everything. I don't know if you notice that, the way that this psalm describes his life. He's looking at life and saying, everything's bad. Everything's bad. There's nothing good about what's happening in my life. But let's step back for a minute. Now, we get the privilege to step out of this experience and see it from a couple thousand years of... Is there anything good that's happening? And see, the reality is, first of all, we have the opportunity to read what in this moment of despair seemed like utter darkness. That this prayer, this prayer that's spoken and this experience of of a lack of God's presence, it ministers to us. I mean, what if Haman knew that this was something, this prayer was something that was going to be used for thousands and thousands of years to minister to thousands and thousands, millions of people, to help them to deal with their own struggles and difficulties. See, though the darkness seems, it seems pervasive for Haman, God is at work in the midst of it. He just can't see it. Just like Job, as Job went through that experience, he did not know how God was at work. And the reality is, listen, in life, God works all things together for good, but that doesn't mean everything's good, and that doesn't mean we're always going to see it. And so the question becomes, are we willing to trust God when the benefits are just not there? And part of growing up in life is to trust God for who he is, to know him as he is, and and to trust that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and though darkness seems pervasive, he is with me. Because here's, here's the last place I want to turn. How can we trust a God that allows experiences like this? I 
And there is one, there is one in the New Testament who has experienced darkness with no light. There's one who's gone through, who was the light in a sense and was cast out into utter darkness. That one is, is Jesus. Jesus was the light of the world, but the light did not, the darkness did not understand it. That Jesus is the only one who's truly experienced darkness. Because see, even in our darkness, God's at work. We can't see well. We, we don't know how God is moving. And yet Jesus was cast from light to darkness, meaning he knew the fullness of God's presence. He knew what it was to have God's love and his work in his heart. And yet Jesus was cast out. Why? So that those of us who are in darkness might be brought into light. So that even in our darkest moments, we would know that God is still with us. In, in Matthew 27, we see this scene play out. Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Elam, Sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now realize the sixth hour, that's noon. And it's saying at the point in which light should be the brightest, darkness was over the land. And from the noon till three o'clock, that darkness permeated all things until he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That what Matthew's describing physically with the darkness of the sun is what Jesus was experiencing spiritually. That on the cross, he was forsaken. The attachment he had with God was cut off. And he was brought into the darkness that you and I fear. The darkness that we're afraid we're walking in. The darkness that we think God has placed us in. And yet the darkness that because of Jesus, God is saying, I'll never allow, certainly permanently in your life, that always in the darkness there is hope. Why? Because Jesus was cast out so that his light would be brought in. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1 Verse 6 said it this way. He said, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. He says, if we're afflicted, realize that God is teaching us. Now, he may not be just teaching us for our benefit. He's teaching us for the benefit of those around us. Because in this room... Is just about every experience you could imagine. And you know, there's people outside of this room that doubt God's goodness. They doubt his presence. They doubt that he's real. And why do they doubt that reality? Because of what they've experienced. What they've gone through, the darkness, the, the hopelessness, the pain. And yet when we walk with God through the darkness, what we have the opportunity to do is to point to the light. This is how God directed me. This is the ways that he showed up. And see, that testimony of life, of life with God, it's, it's a light that brings light to the world. That God is at work. And, and I don't know what circumstances you're, you're walking to today. But what I do know is that God longs to hear from you. He's not abandoned you. He's not... He's not left you. He is near to you. And his desire for us is simply to be honest with him. And as we celebrate communion today, what I encourage you to do is just to search your heart. 
you know, as we celebrate communion, it's an opportunity for us to reflect upon where we are, to confess, Lord, these are the areas where I'm not allowing you to work in my life and to, to say, Lord, I need you. I know I'm poor in spirit. I know I need your presence in, in my life. And so as we celebrate together, and if you don't have those communion elements, if you guys want to walk out, it's okay. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. I wrote that down until he blew it. But that's okay. We're going to celebrate communion together. And so scripture says before we receive of the cup and of the bread, we should search search our lives, search our hearts, invite God to reveal to us the things that he desires. So let's just take a moment and invite the Father to speak. thank you that um, Lord as we come before you long to to draw us near Father you're near to the broken hearted to those that cry out and just acknowledge Lord that we need you and so Jesus you've provided us a way to know the Father not through our our life being together but admission that our life is not together. And that through faith in you, Lord, you make us whole. You allow us to experience the love, the reality of your presence, the, Lord, the reality of being known in a way that allows us for the first time maybe to admit our shame, our fear, our brokenness. And Lord, you don't just want us to admit it want to make us whole. Through faith in your life and death and resurrection, you've given us grace so that we can can come into the presence of a God that knows us and loves us.